Recovery Elevator. This is episode 281. And I really only put the work into becoming a non-drinker after I quit. So it was it it was completely spontaneous decision, and I just haven't looked back. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us today. TGIM, thank God it's Monday, guys. On today's podcast, we've got Sarah. She took her last drink on December 2nd, 2018. She's from Minnesota and she's 37 years old. Before I get into our interview today, I want to give a very special shout out to a couple of members from our RE team. I've been met with a ton of grace and patience while learning to be a podcast host, and I definitely couldn't do this without the help from Ty, who does all of the editing, KP, who basically brings it all together and uploads it for all of you to listen every Monday, and Katie, who does the show notes. Gracias, gracias, gracias. I appreciate you guys so, so much. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. Today, I want to chat about rewriting memos. Yes, memos. Memos are defined as a short message or record used for communication in a business. Memos can be used to quickly communicate with a wide audience something brief but important, such as procedural changes, price increases, policy additions, meeting schedules, reminders for teams, or summaries of agreement terms. At this point of the episode, you may be wondering why on earth am I giving you a cheap business lesson instead of staying on my well-versed recovery topics. Bear with me now. We're going to reframe this definition into something that I think can benefit all of us. We all have personal memos, short messages that we keep communicating to ourselves on a day-to-day basis. And it's not just one or two memos. It's more like a memo catalog. Thousands of stories and messages that we have recorded for ourselves and that serve as fuel for what we end up reflecting in our lives. Most of us have a long list of shitty memos, and we rarely even pause to stop ourselves from believing them. Are you still kind of confused about all this memo talk? Here's just an example. I'll give you a few of mine, just so you can get a little idea of what I'm talking about. Memos. You are unlovable and crazy. Your thighs are too wide. You're not good at math. Your big dreams are not worth pursuing. You shouldn't be so opinionated. Disagreeing with your parents will push them away. You don't fit in. Eating cheese will make you fat and gassy. You can't control yourself around cookies, especially chocolate chip cookies. Your laugh is too loud. You can drink one or two glasses of wine per day and you'll be just fine. You must weigh X amount of pounds. You can't change your mind or you will seem confusing and not confident. You have to do it all on your own. I'm hoping you're getting the point by now. We go about our lives with these memos embedded into our thoughts. Now imagine if I took a Sharpie and I wrote down all of these memos that I shared with you guys all over my body, making them a part of who I am. I mean, I love tattoos, but that's most definitely not the look that I'm going for. To our benefit, Internal memos are something we have a choice over. We can choose whether or not we believe in the things we tell ourselves. It starts with becoming aware of these, noticing them and truly believing that they aren't embedded in us. I want you all to know that today. You have the power to rewrite the memos. 
For every negative memo you find yourself believing, know that you can take out your Sharpie, cross it off, and write a new one out. Here's a revisited list of the memos I previously shared with you guys. You're lovable, silly, and unique. Your legs are strong. You can become good at anything you work hard to learn. Your dreams are worth pursuing. You have permission to be yourself. Disagreeing with your parents may be uncomfortable, but they will always love you. You're authentic. You can eat intuitively. Your laugh is a reflection of your joy. Alcohol doesn't line up with your best self. Weight doesn't define you. You're allowed to change your mind. You can ask for help. Much better, right? Words matter. What you tell yourself matters. Be mindful. All right. Eso es todo. That's my weekly dose of rambles on RE for this episode. And before we hear from Sarah, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive, loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these in Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who is in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19 a month, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online discussions, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. And another portion goes to the in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Sarah, welcome. How are you today? Hi, Thank you so much for having me. It is such a, a pleasure to be on. I've listened to, I think, every episode of, of this podcast since its beginning. And so it's just real, really fun to, to be here with you. And I am doing well today. I live near the Twin Cities where um, at the time of this recording, we're in the midst still of the protests related to the killing of George Floyd. So it's been in some ways a really heavy week. But obviously been a lot worse for other people than it has been for me. And just watching our community navigate that right now has been, you know, just a mix of feeling proud of people coming together and also, you know, horrified at some of the current events around us. Yeah, I definitely want to share your sentiment. I, I've actually been sharing with some of my close friends that I've been having a hard time focusing and I have a, I have a full-time job and I have young kids and it's really hard to not feel what is happening around us. And I'm grateful that, that I can feel it because it's time to change and it's time to act. And I'm just mm -hmm. having a lot of feelings around it. So thank you so much for your genuine response to our always like, welcome, how are you? And it's, you know, like, fine, I'm good. And sometimes it's a little bit deeper than that. So thank you so much for your honesty. Yeah, of course. And I, I share your feelings of distraction and it's a double whammy with, you know, coronavirus already you know, being at the, the heart of like disrupting our lives and then this happening too without any time to, to rest in between. But again, 
I I just want to acknowledge that I'm in the privileged position of of not having to have these race issues take center stage in my life every single day. And I I agree with you. I think this has been a wake up call and a call to to real change. And so I'm hopeful that going forward, we're going to see more of that. Yes, me too. Time for action, not just talking about it. And something I just want to say one more thing about all of this is that we don't necessarily have to say the perfect thing. I I know a lot of the fear of people who are in privilege of speaking out comes from a place of not knowing what to do and not knowing what to say. And I just want to double click on that and remind people that we're learning and just acknowledging that we may not be right, but we just want to be a part of it is a huge start. And there's a ton of great accounts on there sharing resources and information and books and movies. So it's a time to it's a time to learn as well. With knowing better comes doing better. So we're in it together. Completely agree. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And let's get right into the podcast topic. When was the last time you had a drink? Uh, December 2nd, 2018. So coincidentally, I realized right before this, uh, this interview that it's exactly 18 months today. 18 months <laughs> do you have any do you have any like favorite ways of celebrating or little traditions around milestones no not really well when I hit a year I bought myself a, a very small piece of jewelry just to commemorate and and sort of mark the occasion and so I, I have those earrings in today but I have to wear them every day so that was just my little treat to myself at one year I love it I am a big uh, Paul makes fun of me all the time but I'm a big celebratory person and I'm one of those that like it's my birthday month we got to do something fun every day and he's just like gives me the (laughs) eye roll every time but I do think that it's not something that comes naturally to us to celebrate ourselves so I'm happy you're wearing your earrings and maybe have a your favorite treat or ice cream cone we are very biased on our love for ice cream over here at recovery (laughs) elevator but I'm gonna I'm gonna celebrate with you too (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Congrats. And then can you give listeners a little background? Let us know where you're from. Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And for our golden rule number 22, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm 37 years old. I live in the Twin Cities of Minnesota with my husband and my six-year-old daughter. And we just adopted a new dog as well, a little quarantine pup. So that's been fun. I work in communications and for fun, I like to go for walks and hikes with friends, hang out with my, my daughter and eat my husband's food. He's an amazing cook. So I've been very fortunate that the, the quarantine hasn't really uh, put a damper on my hobbies of eating my husband's food and going for walks. Yes, luckily we can still get outside and eat more food than we probably need. Now. Exactly, exactly. We've been eating like kings over here for the last few months, so that's been great. Oh, that's awesome. I I have a five year old daughter, so I know it's a fun age too, and they're getting a little bit older and becoming their own little person. So I'm sure you have a lot of fun just parenting and being around her as well. Yes, exactly. And and it's been uh, really interesting to see our relationship change a little bit now that she's home with me because schools are closed. And, you know, it's never in my plans or dreams to become like a stay at home mom, homeschooling mom, but parts of it have been really, really fun. And so I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to have been able to spend this much time with her over the last few months. Do you know if you're going to be working from home long term? Yeah, well, I actually worked from home before any of this started. So I I assume that will continue into the future. Um, So the only thing that's been different has been having her and my husband home all the time. 
Yeah, now it's everybody at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But my daughter will start camp uh, on Monday. So that'll be another big change. And, and we'll see. But I think I think someday I'm going to look back and miss this time, honestly. Yeah, I feel like it it would have only taken this to make us really slow down. And it everything has yeah. two sides of it. And I know our quarantine, and I'm speaking for myself, is also privilege. So I, I can't speak mm-hmm. for people who are struggling during this quarantine. Yeah. But, but we do have to focus on the good and, and be the light. And a big part of it has just how we've developed relationships, even with people that we live with, but we end up spending more time sometimes at work or with the people at work than with the people at home. So I'm really happy to hear that you're enjoying this time at home with all of them. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Can you give listeners yeah. <laughs> a little background on your history with drinking? When did you start drinking? When did you realize that alcohol was no longer serving your life and you kind of had that little thought of maybe I should stop? Sure. So just to start at the beginning, I didn't drink at all in high school. I was very into sports and academics. The people that I was friends with weren't drinkers and so neither was I. And then I, I started drinking a little bit after I graduated high school, and then I went off to school at a, a big party school and sort of commenced the, the binge drinking culture on weekends. And what I liked most about it when I first started was the feeling of like I was like so painfully self-conscious and had some social anxiety, and it just took it away, and it made me feel extroverted and alive and excited and happy and mischievous and all of these, you know, fun things. And so, but I was still in college, I was still considered a normal drinker because binge drinking was normalized. I was drinking, you know, the same as everybody around me. So it didn't really seem like a big deal. And then grad school, you know, into my 20s, late 20s, the binge drinking kind of tapered off just sort of naturally. And at the same time, though, as I entered adult life, the daily drinking, you know, just drinking at home with my husband on first Friday, Saturday, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and so forth until just over time, I realized I was drinking seven days a week. And so I guess when I was 31 was when I was pregnant with my daughter. And of course, I stopped drinking then. And It wasn't a big deal for me to stop drinking when I was pregnant, but I also spent the entire time feeling really deprived and just looking forward to the day that I could have wine again and drink again. And I just I felt like I was just missing out the whole time on that, you know, super important part of life, which, of course, I'm putting in air quotes. And then after my daughter was born, I mean, again, I just kind of picked up where I left off with the daily drinking and it was still... I would say in my early 30s, just, you know, one or two drinks a night. But what concerned, what started to concern me is that I was incapable of taking a night off. And in the times where I would overdo it a little bit, which for me was only, you know, overdoing it was like three glasses of wine. I would wake up in the middle of the night with like such bad anxiety, you know, 3 a.m., not able to fall asleep, wondering why I was drinking every night, promising to do better in the morning. And I would wake up resolved, you know, now today's the day I'm going to take the day off. And just because I need to know that I still can. And then I just never would. So that was, you know, when I was maybe like 35, 36, just really starting to realize that this is ramping up. And I'm still not drinking more than many people around me. I'm not having anybody express concerns about my drinking, but I was concerned about it. And I, and I just didn't know how to stop. But also, 
I didn't have any, like, I never tried any strategies for stopping. Like my main strategy was just waking up in the morning and saying, I'm not going to do that again. And then just doing it again. So looking back, it's really not a surprise that I didn't quit or couldn't take a day off because I wasn't doing anything that would have allowed for it to happen. I was still convinced that it was like a willpower issue. I'm going to just intervene here for a little bit and ask you just because our journeys sound familiar to me. You're saying like you knew that, oh, I'm going to stop tomorrow and I need to take a day off. But were you Mm -hmm. maybe asking yourself at certain times, like, do I even fit in? what society calls an alcoholic or having a problem. And since the answer to that question, at least for me, was always no coming from my own thoughts, then it was harder for me to take action already knowing the answer to a question that ultimately didn't even matter what the answer was. The problem was that alcohol was affecting my life, right? But I felt like I was just stuck in that like, well, I don't fit in. So should I need to take action? I feel like my subconscious kept like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, exactly. You are you're a hundred percent right on for for my story as well. It's just like I didn't even get far enough to question whether I had I was an alcoholic or anything like that. Like quitting, it did not enter my mind because in my mind the people who quit were the people who had like a capital P problem and had DUIs and you know and just like were totally out of control and that just wasn't me. And so I didn't even think about it. So then when I was 36, this was on December 2nd, 2018, I was 36 and I was at the library and I was just browsing like the, you know, staff pick section. And I saw Annie Grace's book, This Naked Mind Control Alcohol. And I was like, oh, like maybe this will help me moderate because that's clearly what I need to do. I just need to get better at limiting myself to one drink and then I'll, I'll be happy. I was like, this, this could be my solution. So I sat at the library and I opened Annie Grace's book and I started reading and I just, I did not put it down for the whole rest of the day. I finished it in one day and it completely turned my mindset around from thinking that I need to moderate to just knowing that I was going to be done with alcohol. And I quit that same day. And I, and that was, that was it. I mean, that was really, I went from ne- never considering that I should quit to quitting permanently or hopefully permanently in, in one afternoon. And I mean, then we can go back and talk about, you know, the other red flags and stuff that I noticed, but I really only noticed them in retrospect after I quit. And I really only put the work into becoming a non-drinker after I quit. So it was, it, it was completely spontaneous decision and I just haven't looked back. Oh, I love, I love your story. I love that you basically had an (laughs) aha moment the same day that you just quit. And Annie Grace, uh, she got me good because I also was trying to moderate when I found her book. And at the beginning, it sounds like you didn't take my approach. But in the beginning, she says, I'm paraphrasing here, listeners, but she says something like, feel free to keep drinking while you're reading this book. Like this is, I was like, perfect. This girl gets me. I'm gonna get my glass of wine. (laughs) And then of course, at the end, you're like, oh, great. Like this party's over that. Like it's just, she has has amazing strategy to pull the reader in. And a lot of that comes from that stigma and that Mm -hmm. shame. And a lot of, Mm -hmm. like I shared, like not fitting in that label that For me, I mean, my dad's a recovering alcoholic, so it's not like Mm -hmm. I I was familiar with the word. It's not like I was like, oh, man, if they called me alcoholic, it was more like I don't fit in. And it was like, if I don't fit in, why would I be looking into those books or into those resources? So she I think she does a fantastic job in addressing gray area drinking and, and this wide range of like population that maybe haven't had 
a tragedy or a rock bottom moment that's stereotypical, but just like like you wake up in the morning and is like, I don't feel good and anxiety. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. I'm really I'm really glad to hear that it was a day. I mean, I'm sure you had cravings, though. So can you talk us through a little bit about like yeah. you made the decision, but early in early in your journey, how was it just physically for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing I did when I finished her book was I just cried because I was like, I, I know I want to do this. I know this is the right decision. But like, how, how am I going to do this? Like, it's a part of every single thing that that we participate in society. Like I just, I was completely, you know, almost like in like a grieving process about about the loss of it, even at the same time, I was excited about the decision because one of one of the beautiful things about that book is that it just makes you instead of focusing it on like a, you know, a deprivation mindset, it's more of like an excitement and talking about what you would gain. And so I would say like the first the first like one to three days, it was just like, I got to get my sea legs, like, let me experiment with what it feels like to go into social situations. I mean, and this was right before the holidays, too. So I remember in the first week, I had three different social things. So I got that time to practice. And just like she says in the book, it was like, all I needed to do was show up at, you know, we had like a mommy and kid play date. And I just had to show up and like, see that the connection and stuff was still there without me drinking wine. And so I guess the first week was just like experimenting to see if the things in that book were true. And then let's see, coping mechanisms in the first week, I made sure that I like if I was going to be in a situation where I would be craving, I really wanted to make sure I had a treat for myself that I would be excited about again, not to get in that deprivation mindset. So, you know, stopping at the store on my way to book club to get my favorite flavor of kombucha and have that with me or having a bowl of ice cream before bed with my husband instead of having a glass of wine and just like no treat was off limits during those first few weeks while I learned the new, you know, the new brain circuitry almost to, to, to get the the cravings out of my system in that first crucial couple of weeks. Sounds like you did a lot of learning and just going inside and being self-aware on like everything that was going on and almost taking a step back. And that's hard to do because I feel like we are very hard on ourselves most of the time, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad you took that approach. And there's so much pressure and many of us are just always, if you're going to do something, you're going to go all in. And it's hard because you can't just go sugar-free, treat-free, alcohol-free, all the things right. all at once. Like it's really hard. And all of these habits are really ingrained in our brain. So I, I really like yeah. this tapering off approach in terms of like, yes, you, the goal is to have a better life. And ultimately you're going to actually have a very different life, but it doesn't happen overnight and baby steps, always baby steps. And I love yeah. what you said about alcohol being a part of everything we're in and Gosh, that is such a hard thing for people to just accept. I feel like we project and we we think, what am I going to do at my kid's wedding? Or what am I going to do at my at my own wedding if you haven't been married? And yeah. and it's like you don't know how things can possibly look like. And it's this fear of the unknown. But I did a lot of self-inventory in social settings and realized I was going to feel as uncomfortable as I let myself feel because all of these people who mm-hmm. aren't in my head and in my feelings like, 
they're cool. Like you said, they're connecting and having conversation. And of course, some friendships change. But I think that happens honestly with or without alcohol. But it's really a lot of it is what we do to ourselves and the narrative that we have inside of our mind. So I really like that you just from early on started changing that and putting yourself out there and just kind of noticing the good that was still there and and still treating yourself because I do think that's very important to still feel like you're a part of what's going on whether or not it's with a soda water or a kombucha or just with an ice cream bowl at the end of the night it's those are all (laughs) great strategies in my opinion (laughs) yeah yeah and I mean also for me in those um in the social situations I was really afraid that I would be bored but what I realized is that if I'm bored without alcohol like it's because I'm not putting in the work to make my interactions more interesting more meaningful more connected and so when I I would give myself a little pep talk before going into a new a new situation that I hadn't faced without alcohol before and just say like you find yourself getting bored remember why are you why are you at this event it's because you care about the people that you're going to be spending time with and care about meaningful present connections with them. And there's no excuse for not getting that out of this. And then alcohol honestly really gets in the way of it more than it, it enhances it. But the problem is that if I hadn't quit, I never would have figured that out because you really just have to see it for yourself. I think that what happens too, is that this is my total theory, but I feel like a lot of the times these social engagements are a bit uncomfortable at first. What you shared, that what you yeah. felt in college of like, you know, social awkwardness and, and not everyone's an extrovert. And, and it's like everyone has the right intentions when they show up to a happy hour or an event. But it's hard to just like jump into the tough questions and jump into the the conversations that are deep. And, and that's why a lot of people do drink because it does create the social lubrication. But at the same time, it also dulls us from asking those hard questions and if you want deeper relationships you have to have deeper conversations so I love what you're sharing here and like I'm sure you have these conversations with your kid but when my kids are like I'm bored I'm like well that's on you find something to do (laughs) find something to do tell us tell me if you want to play but like don't let yourself get there you know there's a lot if you just look Exactly. Yep. I could not agree more. And and I love bringing those parenting lessons too, because it's so true. And, and not to like jump around, but just on the topic of parenting, one of the things that keeps me going um, with this journey is just what an example to set for children that you value being present and connected and that you don't need something external for that, but something that comes from inside people. And I just like, I could not be more proud to be able to offer that to my daughter in, in such a real way. And I hope that doesn't sound like self-righteous, but it really keeps me going. It's, it's one of my main whys for doing this. I I agree with you. And I think that things are changing now and parenting styles are changing and our parents obviously did the best that they could. But I think that at least speaking from my experience, it's hard to teach kids to be uncomfortable too. And that's the other thing. I love what you shared, but I also love teaching my own kids or trying because I'm not always successful, but teaching them like, oh, some yucky feelings are going to show up and you can just feel them and work through them and you'll feel better, like trust, trust in themselves, like it builds confidence versus honestly, like it, it comes easy to like, oh, here's, here's this treat or this cookie or here's this show, like, don't don't feel this way. And, 
and then we are as adults incapable of sitting with our uncomfortable feelings and i think schools this isn't even about alcohol but schools are incorporating meditation and yoga and all of this is because we've realized as a society like we don't know what to do with ourselves when we're not feeling great and we need to learn this exactly exactly and i mean i i have compassion for myself and for all mothers who, you know, when you have young kids and you're first learning how to care for them and how to have a new, your new life as a mom and, and feeling, honestly, I felt trapped a lot of the time when my child was little. And I mean, I was working and and she was in daycare and stuff. So it wasn't like I was with her 24 seven or anything like that. But it's like the things that we use to fill us up are I mean, besides alcohol, like the healthy things we use to fill us up are a lot harder to achieve when you have small kids. And so I think a lot of parents, moms especially, reach for wine time and time again. I know I did because it was just such an easy, available coping mechanism that would just shut off my brain at the end of the day. And so it's been a real journey now not drinking. Okay, I don't have that as an option. So what other tools are in my toolkit and how can I advocate for myself to get the time I need to, you know, go to a yoga class that happens to be during her bedtime or, or, um, you know, just go to a coffee shop and read for a couple hours on a Saturday. (laughs) And those things take so much more time and uh, childcare than, than just opening up a bottle of wine at, at bedtime. Yeah, gosh, if you I think if you want to get triggered, live with live with a young child, I feel like it's it's totally a part of it because we get we're pulled consistently. And Eckhart Tolle always says, if you have young kids, you don't need a meditation practice. Your life is a meditation practice. (laughs) You are put to the test every single day. So yeah, I, I do like being an advocate for just telling moms like you don't you don't need it. You can do hard things. And if you're a normal yeah. drinker, that's amazing. But also there are other ways to reward yourself and to relax and to cope. So I just I have a lot of friends who drink normally. And I'm like, as long as you have like this menu of things for coping. Right. Versus the only thing on my menu is wine at the end of the night, then 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 you're good. You know, it's just it's it's a learning curve for sure. But thanks for sharing all of that. I know that getting into family sometimes is different than just speaking about your own journey. But I do want to ask right. if you're comfortable with responding. How was the dynamic with your husband? Did you burn the ships immediately and let him know since your decision was like spontaneous? Or did you wait a little bit? How was that transition? Good question. And I'm, I'm totally fine talking about this. I told him right away. And I think he probably didn't believe me because, I mean, I wouldn't have believed me. It just seemed so sudden and just out of the blue for him because, I mean, he had he had no idea, as I had no idea, that this was going to happen. And so I think, uh, you know, he was very supportive and I'm appreciative of that. And I also, you know, he and I have been, had been, drinking buddies for many years before this. And so I had a little bit of guilt for like taking this away from him in a sense, this thing that we had in common. And so we have really worked to find other things to connect over, but, but he's been nothing but supportive and I'm really appreciative. 
That's amazing to hear. It's definitely a change because I feel like things can coexist. And like you're saying, he was supportive and I have the same experience with my husband. But then him being supportive didn't mean for for us, at least that it was uncomfortable sometimes. Like I remember just going on our right. first trip when I wasn't drinking without the kids. And normally after lunch, what would we do? We would go like, oh, let's find a brewery yeah. and then let's find another bar and another bar. And then it's dinner time. So what ended up happening to me? I was like, oh, no, we have all this time and like, what do we do? Like, what do we do? Normally, we'd be bar hopping or like, not necessarily like doing shots from bar to bar, but like just kind of like right. exploring the city. We would ride bikes from brewery to brewery. And now, like yeah. you said, guilt and, and also just relearning of like, what can we do together? And just for me, at least I felt like, shoot, I don't want to threaten our closeness. And I honestly had a few yeah. relapses because I just felt so uncomfortable in that change that I just like was like, forget mm -hmm. about it. We can just go back to the way that we were. But then you can't go back. It's almost like you can't unlearn everything that you read with any grace. And you just have to kind of stick it out through the change a little bit. And then you come out on the other side. And I, I, I relate to everything that you just said, you know, the vacations and, and everything. And I, I think my quote unquote, weakest moments in this journey where I've come close to drinking again has been for that exact same reason. It's just like, I want that easy. <laughs> again, it's like the easy way to, to go through life is just like, oh, you know, why can't we share this hobby of, you know, drinking a nice bottle of red wine together? And, and I feel like I did take that away from, from us in a unilateral decision. But then what keeps me keeps me going is just thinking like if we can't find other stuff to connect over and and we need this then we're in we've got much bigger problems yes. so it always takes me back to like I got to figure out a different a different way and again to the back to the theme of having young kids it's hard because you know babysitters are expensive and so it's so much easier to you know sit out on the porch and share a bottle of wine and have that feel special than it is to like find a babysitter and you know arrange all that and make reservation or you know or especially in Minnesota when the weather is terrible most of the year yes <laughs> It's just it takes a lot of work to to go on dates and invest in in the relationship in other ways. But but we're figuring it out. And largely, I think it's been a positive change for our relationship. So, so far, so good on that. But it is it is a challenge. And from what I've seen in, in Facebook groups, I think that's a very common, very common challenge uh, to relationships where you want strength together and then one person quits. So, um, yeah. yeah, everybody's just figuring it out for what it means for their own relationship but it's it's tricky it's tricky change is hard but but we can do it and I thank you so much for sharing I I feel really inspired just talking to you your story is amazing and you're doing great things I commend you we talk about early in your journey some of the cravings that you felt and some of the tools that you use now that you're 18 months in what's a day in the life for you what still works for you what's in your recovery tool belt it's a little bit harder with coronavirus to see friends but um I'm I'm still going for walks with my my best friends on a somewhat regular basis so that is huge I mean I cannot uh feel filled up without uh face-to-face -face personal connection so you know again sometimes in the dead of winter if I'm not being sort of like responsible to that need in myself and I'm just like holing up with in my house and not leaving and not seeing anybody I can start to feel a little bit depressed and 
and feel like I don't have things to look forward to. And so then that's when drinking starts to look more and more tempting again out of like boredom. So that's number one, social connection. That's my number one tool. And then another tool that's been huge from the beginning and still is um, our podcast sobriety podcast recovery elevator uh, at the beginning of my journey I had like a painting project I was painting my living room and this was right after I quit and I found recovery elevator I just listened to like hours back to back of episodes listening to personal stories and now I don't listen to hours and hours back to back but I still listen to a couple of of recovery podcasts a week and that really keeps my motivation up and then uh, just back to echoing what I said earlier about, you know, if I feel like I'm in a really tough spot, then I go back to what worked at the beginning, which is just like, you know, no treat is off limits, like protect the not drinking over just about anything else. And so I do eat a lot of ice cream, a lot of kombucha, just, just stuff to make me feel like, you know, I still have treats in my life. Yeah, I I feel like we've addressed on the podcast before how our journeys may not be linear. And for some people, that means many day ones. And then I know a handful of people mm-hmm. in our groups like you were like, it just happened. And thank goodness, they're still going and they they haven't met that drink again. But then I feel like there are other I don't want to use the word relapse, but there are other ways where like, you may not be a day one, but you may feel exactly the way you felt at the beginning. And you have those like vulnerable mm-hmm. moments within your journey. And I love that you said like, I just go back to what worked at the beginning because I yeah. feel like coronavirus, at least for many of us, it made us feel close to the edge again or very vulnerable or yes. back to those fearful feelings from the beginning. So you don't necessarily always feel the same way. And that has nothing to do with how many days you have removed from the substance. But I feel like it's very important to to kind of give ourselves a lot of grace when we're feeling extremely vulnerable like we did at the beginning and just be like, okay, what worked? I'm just going to eat ice cream every day this week. And that's fine. Yep. And just like giving yourself permission to, to just be, give yourself what you need and just kind of getting out of your head and like, oh no, I'm two years in. I shouldn't be feeling this way anymore this far in. It's like, no, it doesn't really work that way. Right. Exactly. And it's like, I, I thought about that because during coronavirus has been for sure the hardest time that I've had so far in this journey And I was like, man, why am I having so many cravings now? It's like, well, first of all, the social connection, the face-to-face social connection was like completely gone for a long time. And second of all, I had never not drank through a global pandemic before. And I had to learn to do it just like I learned to go to my first book club and I learned to do my first New Year's and my first birthday. But you start to remember like, oh, I've been here before. I remember what it's like to have this craving and I remember what I did to get through it. And so actually uh, not to change topics, but like meditation has been huge for me for this because I've learned to monitor like these uncomfortable feelings in my body. And you can almost like feel the specific feeling of loneliness related to not drinking. And then you think drinking is going to fix that. And it's like, that is a specific feeling in my body. And the longer I go without drinking, the more I can quickly recognize that that sensation be like oh yeah that's this feeling and it's gonna pass and and I know what I can do to to get through it so hopefully that made that last part made sense about the meditation and the the bodily sensation totally you're sounds like you're learning a lot and I I really like that because listeners it's super worth it not to drink but at the same time a lot of the work comes after 
we stop drinking. So I always think it's important to bring light to this, to just remember that the real work isn't about just removing the drink. It's about learning about yourself and learning your triggers and learning your fears. And that stuff doesn't necessarily go away just because you stop drinking. So I really, I really like that you're sharing that meditation has really helped you and getting to know yourself better because that's what we're all trying to do. And I think that, I mean, meditation and quitting drinking just go hand in hand for me. I can't really imagine, I can't imagine for myself having been successful in this this journey without meditation because meditation has taught me so much about like just how to get through all those uncomfortable feelings that I used to use drinking to erase. And, and yeah, I mean, I just, I can't imagine being able to stay sober without it. I love it. I love it. I have one more question for you. I feel like we could talk for a long time. I feel like we need to be friends. Yes, me too. <laughs> yes, I'm in. <laughs> but I have one more question before the rapid fire round. And it's if you could talk to day one, Sarah, what would you say to her? Uh, I would say that this is going to teach you more about yourself than you ever thought that you could learn. It's a fast track to personal growth and it's going to be worth it no matter the challenges. I love it. All right. Well, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay, perfect. What is one aha or light bulb moment that you've had during this journey? That would have to be that that the awkwardness that you feel when you first get to a social gathering is going to be completely gone in 15 minutes, whether you drink or not. It goes away on its own. I love it. It, it seems to um, make me remember that the same thing happens with feelings. We always think that it's going to yeah. last forever, but it actually goes away. Duh. <laughs> exactly. I love it. What is a memorable moment that your journey has given to you? Uh, the first thing that came to mind for this question was um, Christmas Eve, the the first Christmas, first and only so far Christmas Eve that I've had without drinking. Um, we have a tradition of having our best friends over for Christmas Eve along with some family. And in the past, it's always involved like quite a bit of wine. So we, after dinner, we always go outside and, and take a walk in the snow on the lake. Um, and in past years, I've just been so fuzzy by this point of the night that it's just like kind of a faded memory. But this year, I was just completely clear. And we went out and we had our walk. And it was just like the most beautiful, starry, snowy winter night. And, and we were making memories with our kids and watching them enjoy like the magic of Christmas. I know this is so cheesy, but I just like remember tearing up watching everybody be together and just feel so grateful that my mind was completely clear and that I knew that I was going to to remember it exactly in all of its like magic for a long time. So that was awesome. Clear memories are my favorite thing about sobriety. Clear memories. Yes. And if it makes you feel better, I just watched Cheaper by the Dozen this weekend and bawled my eyes out. So <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm the queen of cheese ball land. I oh. cry with everything. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. All right. Next one is what are you excited right now about? What possibilities, what things on the horizon that you see get you excited? Let's see. Oh, my gosh. I feel like this is hard in this this era where, like, nobody can make plans. And I stuff. know. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think I am just I'm excited about summer. I mean, we in Minnesota, we wait all year for this. Um, and so 
it's going to be a slower summer than we're used to without very many activities and, and vacations and plans and, and stuff. And so in that way, it's a sad thing. But I'm also really looking forward to just a slower pace. I think it's going to the summer is going to feel like it lasts longer that way. So just, yeah, just like casual family time and hanging out outside. Perfect. What parting piece of guidance can you give listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Uh, not to, to be repetitive from past things, but I would say, you know, don't cut out alcohol without adding in other things that you're excited about. Be that a new hobby or, you know, like I said before, ice cream. Um, make sure that you're not approaching it from a place of deprivation, but a, a place of what can you add into your life now that alcohol is gone that you can be excited about. Yes, that um, idea of this being an opportunity and that we don't have to have FOMO. I saw the other day a meme that said JOMO, joy of missing out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we're not missing out. And when you perceive it that way, it's easier to just live in the decision. So I love that. All right, last one before we depart, give listeners your own. You may want to ditch the booze if line. You may want to ditch the booze if you download a habit tracking app to make sure you're sticking to what you feel is an appropriate amount of wine every day. And when the app tells you that you're unable to do that, uh, you just delete the app instead of <laughs> questioning whether you should actually do something to change. Oh, I can relate. Not necessarily the same <laughs> way, but I know what I know the feeling. <laughs> Sarah, yeah, thank you yeah. so much for joining us on the podcast. You made my day. Congrats on such a huge accomplishment with your 18 months today. And keep it up. I hope we can stay connected. Thank you. And you are such a delight to talk to. And I, I uh, wish you so much luck on your new journey as the, the host of this podcast. You are an incredible interviewer. And I just had so much fun. Oh, thank you so much. Take care, Sarah. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap, team. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you're ready for this week's RE challenge, here it goes. Write down 10 negative memos that come to mind. Don't think about it too much. Just let them out. Then reframe and rewrite. Keep these close, maybe on your nightstand or taped onto a mirror that you see every morning. Read them often. Remind yourself of your power. It's there. Trust me. I would love to hear some of these memos, so feel free to share them on social media, tag us at Recovery Elevator, or you can always email me at odette at recoveryelevator.com. Recovery Elevator, let's walk this path and let's walk it together. We love you guys. Uh-huh.